Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, Mr. Kelly, I understand that there has been a yellow cardinal found in Alabama. Does that mean the St. Louis Cardinals may change their team uniform you colors? Know, the way yellow and white? Sports isn't anymore. They were all kinds of wild colors. Absolutely. I think it'd be really cool. Absolutely. You could have a yellow Cardinal. At least, well, what you do is just have one game. Right. And then everybody will want to buy the hats and everything. <laughs> exactly. By the way, the Mizzou game is at Kentucky. Oh, is so, it? Yeah. We're, well, it's thanks. closer to the yellow Cardinals because it was in Alabama. <laughs> See, I've got a lot of gold. We have a lot of goldfinches and a lot of Cardinals in the backyard. So in I'm your hoping backyard. maybe a couple hook up there. Uh, you you know, never know. You know, yeah, I'll be okay. That's all right. Well, great. Well, thanks. You bet. For your insight. And yes, folks, if you would like to have any questions or comments or concerns addressed or made, you can give us a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the second hour of the Garden Hotline, and I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly. But uh, I'll tell you what. Thanks for having me on your show. And uh, we can talk about plant selection, the ups and downs and all arounds of annuals. I haven't seen any pansies yet at the garden centers. It's probably a little bit early. How about your bulbs? I, the lady called last hour and said she leaves her canna bulbs, the tropical cannas, in the ground all year long. And then she wants to dig some up because she wants to share them with friends. You know, when she, when she, when can she do that? And also, how about your daffodils, your tulips, your crocus, your grape hyacinths, your spring flowering bulbs? Now, are they starting to show some growth? Many of mine are that I have in pots and in the ground both. How about your ground covers, your house plants? We had several calls about house plants. You know, concern about related to sunburning, how long it takes to acclimate them to get into a full sun circumstance. Your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please, again, remember my answers, comments, or opinions is certainly not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Greg, again, is producing, and during the week, I do something called a walk and talk. It's a landscape consultation where I come to your home and I address concerns that you have, also keep my you know eyes open for things that might be impacting your lawn or your landscape or whatever that you may not be conscious of. You can go to my website, mikemillerdesigns.com. The homepage will have my email address and phone numbers listed right there, and we can schedule a walk and talk. There's several people that have called. I haven't returned the calls lately because I've been a bad boy, bad boy, but um, you know, I'll, I'll try to get back to, in touch with you. If it's taken too long and you're just fed up with me, I completely understand. It's my fault. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Today's tip of the trial goes out to Missouri Botanical Garden for one, Right now through March 25th, the Orchid Show. 
If you've not been to the Orchid Show ever, or if you've not been for a couple of years, you got to go. I mean, these things are really wild, crazy, and nuts, and they're just you know, fantastic fun. That's what it's all about. Also, between February 22nd and April 7th, Bonkers for Birds. It's a partnership between the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and the St. Louis District and the Meeting of the Rivers, and they're going to have students researching illustrating native birds in our natural habitats for this project. And the work is going to be considered inclusion in the annual bird guide. So what could be more fun than that? Also, tip of the trial goes out to the Butterfly House. Between now, guess what? Now and March 31st, Escape the Cold by Morpho Mardi Gras. So you thought Mardi Gras was over with? Not at the Butterfly House. You can go to the Butterfly House, which is in Faust Park, and you can see the Morpho Mardi Gras where butterflies and beads you can just have all kinds of great fun there. And then also, another part of the Botanical Garden is a Shaw Nature Reserve. Starting in March, or on March 2nd, you can learn how to build a bird, a bluebird box. So that's a bluebird house. And make the North American Bluebird Society-style nest box for the eastern bluebird and put it into your yard. You'll be You'll enjoy it fantastically. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. Yes, folks, to the phones we go. First call this hour is going to be Doug, and Doug is on Highway 70 someplace. Hi, Doug. Hi, Doug. Uh, hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, you mentioned earlier about getting a soil test. What's involved in getting a soil test? How do you do it? What's it cost? That kind of thing. Basically, $30, something around that range. What you do is take, you know, you go below whatever, you know, you have growing, whether it's your lawn in this space, whether it's perennials or anything else. You go down into the soil. You get about a, you know, a Ziploc bag of soil, and then you send it off to the companies. University of Missouri does a soil testing, and there's a private company over in Belleville that does a soil testing as well. So you can just go online, look at soil testing, and you can you know, find out. Some of the places used to send kits to you and explain exactly how you, you know, what you needed to do, send the bags and everything else. Okay, thanks. Yep. And Brian Kelly just stepped in. Trouble? I just tested the soil. It's wet. Uh, <laughs> good news, happiness for the depressed section. It's been reopened. Great. So you can drive through downtown now unabated. Maybe I'll just go ahead and end the garden hotline right now and go drive through. Go drive through the depressed section. Yeah. Try to cheer it up. But that's, yeah, it's very depressing. Yes. All right. Thanks, Brian. You're welcome. Let's go now to Sunset Hills and into George's yard. Hi, George. Hey, how you doing this morning? Very good. I missed the first hour, so I, somebody already may have asked this, but they came out and put down three emergent on my yard this week. Uh, what about my uh, flowers and plants? Can I start fertilizing them now, or and what should I use? It seems a little premature, even for the pre-emergent, to go down right now. So if your lawn service wants to do that, that's fine. But the you know, the seeds that are going to be germinating, the pre-emergent is going to kill. I don't know what kind of pre-emergent. Maybe it's a six-month one or something like that. But in essence, you know, it's uh, you know, usually I recommend putting the pre-emergent down when the soil temperature, if you have a soil thermometer, is about 55 degrees. That's when all the warm season weeds are going to be germinating. That's what kills you know, the pre and that's what the pre-emergent does, kill those weeds. And then second of all, uh, as far as putting fertilizer down, it's a little bit early for that too. Uh, so I would say, you know, hold off on that and at least for another couple weeks. 
because there's no there's reason that. to put it down and then have deluge of rain and dilute it so fast it just sends it past the root systems of your plant material. So that all my flowers and everything, I should wait a couple, three more weeks. Yeah, there's no, you know, I mean, there's no hurry. You're better okay. off to, you know, put the fertilizer down when the plants are starting to actively grow. And I don't think, other than the bulbs, you know, there's nothing actively growing that I've seen yet, except okay, weeds. Great. Fantastic. All right, Thank great. You Boy, you got great, great responses. Thanks. <laughs> well, thanks, George. Now let's go to St. Charles and into Rose's yard. Hi, Rose. Hello there. Hi. We have a Japanese red maple that's about 15 years old and maybe about 12 feet high. Mm -hmm. But we've got some branches that are obviously dead. Um, We're wanting to, I'm wanting to kind of prune that back pretty far and see if we can get new growth coming out in the ear and and cut off the dead branches. What's your advice? Uh, Basically, I would wait. Uh, maples are any variety of maples best pruned during the summertime so i wouldn't necessarily do it now you can do it now it won't i mean it's not detrimental it's just they have a tendency to have a lot more sap flow during the winter time even if they're not let's say sugar maples or something along that line so in the summertime there will be some sap flow but it seems to work a little bit better for the maples just in general definitely on any tree anywhere get rid of the deadwood because it can be an attractant to disease insect or other kinds of problems And pruning it back, don't prune it back too severely. I don't like with anything to cut it back more than, you know, 25 or 30 percent at the most. Okay, very good. So we could take the dead off now, but uh, cut it back 30 percent maybe in when? June? Yeah, June or, you know, May, just when the weather starts warming up. Okay, thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Oakville from St. Charles. It's a long run. (laughs) And into Rich's yard. Hi, Rich. Hey, how you doing? Good. Uh, I've got two big uh, oak trees, and they're probably thirty years old. And a maple, or yeah, and a maple. And you always talked about digging holes and putting uh, compost in there. And I'm just curious, what diameter of hole do I need to dig, and how deep do I dig it? Basically, I'm saying what. The, so you're talking about deep root feeding. You come out, You start off about halfway from the trunk to the extension of the branches, which is called the drip line. Then you'd make right. a circle all the way around. You get something called an earth auger, which is a drill bit about an inch or a little bit more than an inch in diameter. You drill that down about six inches or so, pull the drill back up, and then put the compost into that hole. Then go out two feet further, and then another circle all the way around and do that again. What you're doing is you're feeding the soil because the soil is really more important Healthy soil is what feeds your plants. Yeah. And with the oak and the maple, is there a difference on how, you know, because I know the oaks go down farther than the maples. You're not feeding the roots. Even though it's called deep root feeding, you're feeding the soil, then in turn the soil will feed the roots. So it doesn't really matter. Okay. That was my question. All right, great. Well, thank thank you. R- Rich. And now, I don't know if we've been to Mount Olive, Illinois for quite a while. William, how are you today? Good morning. Hi. Uh, thanks for calling my, or uh, taking my call. Sure. The, quest, the question I have is I have grown four oak trees from acorns. I have one that's about 12 foot tall. I got one that's about four foot tall. And I have two little ones I started that's about a foot and a half. And I keep them watered. And uh, uh, I uh, about uh, once a week or so, I put about a cup full of uh, that miracle Grow for tomatoes. 
And I was wondering, what is the best uh, uh, fertilizer or feed for an oak tree? Basically, the oaks really don't need that kind of fertilizer. I mean, what you're doing is you're probably not helping them all that much. Just make sure wherever they're growing, if they're in a pot or in the ground, that the soil around them is really organic and well. You know, I mean, it sounds like they're okay because they're growing. But putting, you know, putting fertilizer down around the base of the tree is really not doing all that much. You're not accelerating the growth. You're not doing really anything. I mean, it's, okay. it's more or less cosmetic more so than anything else. But, you know, improving the soil, adding compost to the soil around where the tree roots are going to laterally grow out into, that's where the feeder roots are. That's what's more important. Okay, thank you. Yep. And thanks, William, calling from Mount Olive, Illinois. And now let's go another long trip from Mount Olive to Hillsboro. Diane, how are you today? Okay, and thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have some old, really old lilac bushes, and they never bloom. Ooh. Is there anything I can, can I trim those back down, or how can I get them to bloom, or, or are they too old to bloom? They may be too old to bloom, but okay. what you can do is go out there. I'm assuming there's some young, smaller stems coming up out of the ground, out of the base. Yes. Okay. Now, that's going to be your future potential bloom, if there's going to be any. Any of the older, let's say, trunks, canes, that are more than like an inch in diameter, cut those as close to the ground as you possibly can. So in other words, they're kind of absorbing some energy without helping the whole circumstance. And then see, wait for a year or two and see if the ones that you left, the smaller ones that are like a half inch in diameter or whatever, see if they start producing any kind of flower buds. But it may be to the point where they're just too old, the shrub's too old, and you're not going to have any luck with it. But cut out, get rid of all the older, larger trunks coming up out of the ground, and then see what the new ones, the younger ones can do. Okay, but they're very, very old, so right. that's probably the problem. Right. All right, thank you very much. And also remember, lilac's like an alkaline soil, so a salty soil. So if you do happen to have some lime, maybe sprinkle a little lime around the base of it. That soil, you know, changing the soil chemistry may make it so it kind of triggers some action on, those, you know, on the lilacs as well. That's great. Thank you. Yep. And now let's go to Franklin County, and Joanne lives there. Hi, Joanne. Hi. I have a holly bush that's about 12 feet high, and this winter it is losing all of its leaves. Do you think it got froze, or what can I do about it? All, a lot of the broadleaf evergreens, which a holly is, suffered severe damage with that cold spell, even though it wasn't severely cold in January. I mean, I've seen some really bad burn on lots of different broadleaf evergreens. Everything from holly to azaleas to rhododendrons, you know, to boxwood and other things. So is if it's not losing all the leaves, you know, all the way down, you know, you should be okay, but you might have to end up doing some pruning to kind of give it, you know, if there's some dead branches on, you know, on the thing. But 12 feet high is a pretty big, you know, pretty tall. So, yeah, I imagine it's about 60 years old, if not more. Whoa. So, yeah, it's just like me, you know, at 68, I go outside and maybe I can't take those, you know, 20 below wind chills like I used to be able to. But just, you know, kind of just be patient with it and see what happens. See if the new growth is going to come off where these all these leaves have fallen off. But there should be a lot of brown leaves, at least partially brown. And I'm surprised that they're dropping them this soon. Usually it seems a little bit premature for them to be dropping. But it may be in combination with a couple other factors as well environmentally. Yeah, it's they're dropping them bad and fast. Wow. And it's all the way to the tips of the branches. It's not just the interior leaves. No, it's all the way to the tip. Oh, that's not a good sign. No. And I, I don't want to lose it if I can, 
you know, prevent it. Right. There's not, you know, don't fertilize it, definitely. It's like when people are, you know, not feeling well, you don't want to necessarily have a big meal. So don't fertilize it at all. Just kind of let it stabilize. See what happens as far as the branches where all the leaves have fallen off. See if some new leaves start emerging from the tips of those branches. Okay. And that's about all you can do right now. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for your help. Yep. See how 60-year-old Holly, that sounds great. So Mike Miller, KM Walks Garden Hotline. I will be back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We're headed to Columbia, Illinois, and we're going into Matchart. Hi, Matt. Hi, good morning. How are you doing? Very good. I have planted some cherry laurels um, last year. And I really don't know how to uh, maintain them. Um, you know, they, they've got uh, good foliage on them, but some of it, I think, with the cold has been, you know, burned a little. And right. And no uh, best way to handle it. Basically, just leave them alone. You know, okay. For the first couple of years, you're better off not to fertilize, not to do anything. If you planted, if you made the soil, dug the hole correct, you know, three times the diameter of the root ball and everything else, just kind of let them, you know, get acclimated, let them put out some new growth of the root system. And then after that point, maybe think about adding some compost to the soil. In other words, enriching the soil, which will help your plant material. But for the most part, they don't need a whole lot. Okay. And one more that I've got that I don't know a lot about is an obsession nandina. The, I think that's the correct pronunciation right nandina is right it's a variety of head heavenly bamboo it is in theory uh well no it should be it's evergreen and i don't know what color these the foliage is they can be you know anything from greenish to kind of a a chartreuse color to kind of a reddish tint and then what they're going to do is they're never going to get huge and they're always going to be kind of an umbrella. It's not a cla- even though it's called heavenly bamboo, it's not classically a bamboo. And then the flower stalk's going to come up out of the center, and it's going to be little round, more or less flowers and a cluster at the at the end of the stem. And then those flowers are going to get pollinated by I think they're wind pollinated, but they may be insect pollinated. And you'll end up with some little berries there. So again, okay. it's you know they really don't need a whole lot of care. Yeah, and they've got a lot of green uh, leaves, greenish, reddish leaves on the interior, but some of the outer leaves look like they're, you know, browning up and kind of falling off. Right. That's because of the cold weather. Because of the cold. Yeah, exactly. So there's nothing, you know, if the tips of those branches where the brown is right now, if they don't push out any new growth by, let's say, mid-May, just cut those off because those, those tips got, you know, let's say, damaged enough that those buds along there will never be functional again. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, we had a pretty cold weather uh, that uh, I think was hard on some of these uh, plants. You aren't kidding. Hard on everything. (laughs) People do. Well, well, thank you very much. (laughs) Certainly. Thanks, Matt. And let's go to Pat, and Pat is on the road. Hi, Pat. Yeah, Mike. I live in Winsville. I really love your show. Thank you a lot. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Oh, okay. But I have a question about knockout roses. I've got either one or two, they're about, oh, maybe four years old. They're not real big. They're be tall. Is it safe to move those? Uh, it's a little bit early. So you said you these are knockout roses, right? Shrub-type roses. 
I'd wait until it gets a little bit warmer. You want to do it definitely before the new growth begins, but I would not necessarily do it right now because you may be pulling them up, putting them in the new location, and we have no idea what the rest of February or early March is going to be. As you remember, everybody does, March always comes in like a lion and goes out like a lamb. So that lion may be just a severe cold thing that may do some major damage to anything that's transplanted this time of year. If it was in a pot and planting it, it would be a little bit different. But digging it up, tearing up the entire root system, and then moving it to a new location when we have no idea what the weather's going to be like, I would kind of hold off on that a little bit. So now let's go to Judy, and Judy's in Webster Groves. Hi, Judy. Good morning. Thanks for your show. Well, thanks. Um, I wanted your opinion on a native plant called a Virginia knotweed or jump seed. Hmm. The Latin name is Polygonum virginiana or Persicaria virginiana. Let's see. Is that a woodland plant? Yeah, it's it's a native uh, woodland plant. I think it likes damp soil. Right. It's got, what did I write down here? The stems go up to... Uh, one meter tall with alternate oval leaves and a fluorescent up to forty centimeters with tiny white flowers. Right on the end of the on the end of the stem. Right. Yeah. So now I, you know, it's sort of like clicked on. But uh, yeah, basically they run. What they're going to do is send rhizomes underneath the ground, and they're going to colonize a spot. So make sure that you have plenty of room around it, or they can be friendly enough if you want to plant them in with, let's say, ferns, or you want to plant them in with hosta, or you want to plant them in with something that blooms a little bit earlier because these are summer bloomers. And so consequently, summer, or I don't know if they're fall, I think they're summer bloomers. But you can plant them in, let's say, with columbine, so you can have the columbine blooming in the springtime. Then these guys push up the foliage, and then you'll have the flowers later on with that. So, I mean, they're really tough and pretty darn durable. Well, good. I I had a couple volunteers in my yard, and oh. I had to send pictures to the botanical garden to find out what they were. Right. Um, and I just wanted to make sure they weren't going to be terribly invasive because I've got plenty of invasive plants already. <laughs> I don't need another one. No, they're not all that invasive. And what you can do is if it gets bigger than what you want, you can just basically dig down. Like The root system's not very deep. And just uh, you know, chop them off and then yank them up out of the ground to you know, kind of control their size. Yeah. Well, I really like them. And the thing that surprised me was they first appeared under a walnut tree. Wow. You know, you can't grow anything under walnuts. So, um, yeah, I've got uh, some up near the house, and then there's some showing up in the backyard, and I like them. I'm going to leave them. But yeah. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't creator, creating another monster. No, so, you're not. And there's a cousin of it's called Smilacina is a botanical name, S-M-I-L-I-A-C-I-A. And it grows with the same habit, kind of an arching stem coming up out of the ground. But it has like small bell-shaped flowers at the intersection of every place where, you know, a leaf and the stem meets. And so the, the flowers just kind of hang and dangle as opposed to the one that you have, which has a big cluster at the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a nice plant. Yeah. I was happy that uh, it... The only thing that I have luck with seem to be the volunteers. <laughs> Pretty sad. <laughs> no, it isn't. That just shows you, that, I mean, they can acclimate to your soil. And sometimes, you know, when things come out of nurseries, 
I mean, they've been treated so ideally, and then we put them into the reality of whatever situation we're trying to grow them, and then consequently, hmm, they go, ah, this is not as nice as it was back at the nursery. And so that acclimation process is really, really tough. Yeah. Uh, That reminds me of another question. I have a Halloboros that has done very, very well, but it looks like it's sent out some little new plants. Great. Can I just dig those up and move them, and when's a good time to do that? I would not do that. Okay. I would just let them colonize in that one spot. Because, okay. I mean, if, you've, if you're having them do the sucker growth, which that's what this is, then, I mean, that's an ideal circumstance. And, you never, you know, in theory, the new growth is coming off the root system. But to get down there and get enough root system and everything else, I would just not fool with it. Okay. Well, that's good to know because it's under a tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the, how do they do through that cold spell? Because there's some hellebores that are planted underneath trees downtown just a couple blocks from where the studio is. And, man, they got fried by that cold spell. And they are just all totally brown. Yeah, mine's looking real brown. Now, every, you know, when we're coming out of the winter, it's always got a lot of brown, and I trim it off. Right. Um, so I'm hoping there's enough green under there that it's going to survive. Yeah, it should be fine if you've had it for a couple of years. Oh, yeah, I've had it at least 10 years. Wow, so great. Great. So, well, all right, thank you very much. Yep, yep, thank you, Judy. And now let's go all the way to Jefferson City, the state capital, and go into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Yeah, Mike, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, okay, um, got a situation, uh, I've got a 15-year-old brown uh, Betty Magnolia out in the front yard, and I noticed recently that it's developing uh, this kind of light green mold on the bark. Is there anything that I can use to clean that mold off without injuring the tree? Yes, don't do it. Just leave it alone. It's a lichen. It's just a sign of the environment. Lots of trees have lichen growing on the bark. It doesn't do anything at all. It just, you know, I mean, it uses the bark or uses the tree or uses the trunk, whatever kind of tree it's growing on, as just more or less support. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't cause any kind of detrimental impact on your tree whatsoever. Okay. I was a little bit concerned, but it's a pretty tree. Right. Uh, when it blooms, particularly in the spring, but uh, I age, it's uh, more susceptible to uh, a mold of some sort. Yeah, that's not going to be a problem at all. This is on the bark. It's on the trunk. It doesn't interfere. It doesn't go past the bark and into the vascular system or the veins. Nothing whatsoever. Okay, Mike, thank you very much for your service. Well, thank you. And now let's go to from Jefferson City to Mexico, Missouri and go into JJ's yard. Hi, JJ. Hey, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, got uh, you earlier, an earlier call, you, you mentioned gypsum. That's calcium sulfate. And uh, in that case, that their, their problem was, is, is the calcium doing it or is it the sulfur doing it? It's probably the sulfur is neutralizing it, you know, would okay. be my guess. I'm not a chemist, but that's what my guess would be. Well, see, sulfur will... will uh, well, what's the term? It, it, it'll go down in the soil. It'll, it'll percolate on down. It'll follow like nitrogen or water. And so it'll follow the moisture down probably. Right. And that's, uh, why it's, that's why it's pulling the, you know, I'm saying it's a sulfur because we're going after the alkalinity of the urine. And so yeah. consequently, I'm saying that it's locking on to something that's exactly opposite. So it's like salt and vinegar together. And the, the vinegar, being the, the sulfur, is grabbing on to the alkalinity of the urine, the salt, and just pulling it down away from the surface where the surface roots of the lawn happens to be. Well, the sulfur would move 
more readily in the profile than the calcium. Right. One other thing, you mentioned Bowers a while ago, uh, brought back something that we did many years ago when I was very young. My dad planted uh, some black locusts. They were going to be almost as hard as a hedge for posts, and we were all going to use them for a wing break. These things got to be about 6 to 10 inches in diameter, and Bowers got in them. And you, it was literally sawdust on 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 the ground, and, right. and it went went all the way up the trunk. Uh, and, and I'm wondering, is this the Boers and least specific, like the hardwoods? They only bother, or do they bother softwoods as well? Well, there's all kinds of different bores. Yeah, there's emerald ash borer. There's all kinds of different bores that impact different kinds of trees. Some of them don't care, but there are some that are specific. I'm really surprised that the you know the locust trees would have that kind of problem. Because they're native, I mean, they're tough, they're durable, and so why that, you know. But, it, yeah, if you see the frass or the sawdust on the base of the ground, you definitely got bores. You know, they were that, and, and these holes were numerous up and down that. I mean, you didn't have to hunt for, for holes, like you said, the size of a lead pencil. Or something right. Like that. You, I mean, you could, you could see them all the way down. And then he killed oh, almost a half a mile. We had a grove of them a half Ooh. a mile long. It, it got them all. Wow. <laughs> So we did. We we couldn't use them for posts anymore. So we just <laughs> cut them all down and had a big fire. <laughs> Sounds like a Thank party. You. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Certainly, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller, sponsored by Allen's Tree Service on KMOX. There's a couple things. Uh, again, the depressed sections of Highway 44 which how all those highways meet together and everything else doesn't matter. Depressed section is now open, so you don't have to worry about, you know, that being, I can't see how that could flood, but obviously it did. Also, it's about uh, 10 minutes till 10, so at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards, 11 o'clock, the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show with Scott Mosby, and 11.50, the St. Louis Cardinals and the New York Mets in Port St. Lucie, Florida. They're lucky. Warm weather. And let's go back to the phones. Jeannie is on the road. Hi, Jeannie. Hi there, Mike. How are you today? Good. Um, recently, a an oak tree was cut down near our house, I mean, eight feet from our house. Ooh. It was a good tree, but it was causing serious problems to our house. And uh, they, filled, they took the roots out of the trunk and filled it in with a lot of basically sawdust from the tree and mashed it all down. Are we going to have any trouble planting things in that area now? Yes. You'll never get anything to grow there for a long, long, long time. So if they ground out the stump, the root systems are still going to stay viable, but also that spot where they put all the, let's say, the stump grindings back into, that is horrible. You cannot grow anything in that, and you won't be able to, even if you dig all that stuff out and put soil in there, you know, good quality soil and everything else, you're going to have a very, very difficult time to grow anything in that spot for several years. Okay. Well, the tree itself created problems with the landscaping right up next to the house. <coughs> Shaded it, but I think the acorns and other things put acid in the soil, so nothing grew well there. Right. That's but all. Now that the yeah. tree is gone, gone, we'll be, be able to grow things in the landscaping area. Not immediately, because <laughs> the root system is going to stay alive and viable. 
for several years, even if they ground the stump out. The root system goes out all over the place. The root system doesn't know it's been beheaded, so it's still going to absorb nutrients and moisture. Each year it's going to be less and less and less because it's not being fed by sending the nutrients and moisture up to leaves because all the leaves are gone. So it'll slowly and surely implode, but it's not, you're going to take a couple years, especially if it was a nice, big, healthy tree. Any suggestions on what we could put in there so it doesn't just become a washboard of mud? <laughs> uh, I would just put mulch there if you want to. If you, I don't. Is this a side of the house that you actually see or go over to or anything else? Well, it's as you're coming up to the house, it's the side you see. Yeah, I would probably just put you know just put some mulch and just create it like a you know a bed space. And not necessarily, I wouldn't waste my money putting any kind of plant material there. Uh, even annuals, maybe in pots if you wanted to do a couple of large pots with some stuff in it. But anything in the ground, I would just avoid. Okay. You were talking about boreholes a, a minute ago. You said they were the size of a pencil lead. Right. Okay. We have a maple tree. It's a hard maple. Uh, started it from, I call, a stick with grass on it. And... Um, it's been there about 30 years now. It's not real big around, but it's the oak tree shaded it. So now the oak tree's gone. But there are, the bark is cracking, which I understand the sun burned, but that tree was planted there. It's never been anywhere else. Right. So, so the splitting of the bark. The holes could... that are bigger than a pencil lead. Right. Probably the holes you're seeing are from woodpeckers, sapsuckers, those kind of things. So if especially down if they're, low near the ground, uh, not you know not necessarily down low near the ground, but the bark the bark splitting is just a natural girth diameter of the tree trunk expanding. That's nothing to be overly concerned with. The I mean the sap suckers and woodpeckers they're generally not going to be below five feet. So if you have some that are larger, you know that are that low, they're not boars. They can't be boars. So there's something. Well, they actually go around, and I mean you could follow them around in a circle. And, right, exactly. So that's usually woodpecker. I mean they'll do five or six holes in a row, you know, virtually at the exact same height. Well, these are down three feet from the ground. Yeah, so I mean, that's. I'm still saying it's got to be a bird. It's not an insect. Okay. All so. right. Thank you very much. Yep. Thanks, Jeannie. And now let's go to Dee Dee in Brownstown, Illinois. Hi, Dee Dee. Yeah. Hello. Hi. All right. Now I've got a well that's spring fed. It also has um, sand in the bottom of it. But now I've this well has been dry, not dry, but very low because of all the drop with that. All right, now I'm up to 34 inches. Somebody said if you put a crawdaddy down in that well, that they will go down and open up that water pane so that that spring fed can speed up and put more water in there. But I said, if this thing dies, then it's going to make this warm mess. She said, no, they, they will bore themselves out of the bottom of that well and come back up to the top. Has anybody ever heard of this besides the two people that I've talked to? <laughs> I have never heard of it, and I would certainly not depend upon it. I'd have a professional service come out and see if they need to auger something. I would not depend upon some crawdaddy to do something like that, if it's very well, important to you. Yeah, well, when they put this towel in several years ago, I have to call my younger brother because I don't remember. It, we couldn't get the, the concrete tile down because the sand was coming in faster than we could get it to, to the tiles to go down. Right. I don't know whether they could ever get all that sand out of there or not. Well, you're just going to have to have somebody come out and take a look. But depending upon some crawdad to do something like that, 
you know, you t- nothing against anybody, but talk about old wives' tales. That is just, uh, you know, maybe it works, but I've never heard of it, and I've never, I would not depend upon it myself. Okay, that's all I want to know. Thank you. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> a crawdad to clean your, your well water so it drains. Or well, less water in, sorry. Uh, Connie is in uh, Fairview Heights. Hi, Connie. Hi, Mike. I love your show, but I really have to disagree with you about <gasps> not weed. No. Sorry, it's my show after all, right? That's right. Yes, not weed. Somebody should, uh, you know, look at that on the web. As far as I know, there are no species of knotweed that are native to this country, and they're actually listed as one of the world's most obnoxious invasive weeds, just like the bush honeysuckle. Um, you know, a lot of people around here think bush honeysuckle is native just because there's so much of it, but it's not. So I highly encourage that lady to do more research before she plants knotweed anywhere. So th- this is not weed that she was saying was a woodland-type plant that grows in an arch with a cluster of flowers at the end of it? Is that yeah. the one we're talking about? Because yeah. the, the knotweed I'm thinking of is, you know, more or less has the purple berries on it. No, no, you're thinking of um, beautyberry. Mm, it could be, but, uh, well... Yeah, yeah look, look up knotweed. Okay. Knotweed, Japanese knotweed, um, I think the name is polygonium. Um, yes, it's highly invasive. Okay. I had some in my yard. It took me years using Roundup to get rid of it. Wow, great. Well, thanks for the insight. I greatly you appreciate it. You are welcome. It. Love your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Maybe you're going to be taking over the show now. <laughs> Julie lives in Winsville. Hi, Julie. I have um, sun gold thread, thread branch evergreen mm-hmm. and a lemon thread branch evergreen tree and a Japanese maple. They were all planted last uh, September in new landscaping. Wondering what I can do for fertilizer for these. No fertilizer at all. You know, okay. hopefully, hopefully the soil is you know was prepared correctly and everything else. But feeding something before it has any root systems that have moved out to uptake any kind of nutrients or anything else, I wouldn't bother. I wouldn't waste my time or anything else. If anything else, what I would do is get a soil test done. And use your money that you would spend on fertilizer for that. Get the soil test done, find out what there is there, and then adjust the soil or adjust the fertilizer for that. Because if there's soil pH, all these plants that you you have noted need a fairly acidic soil. So just to make sure the soil's acidic, to you know the pH and all that other stuff, and find out what nutrients there are there, and then adjust any kind of fertilizer ultimately that you may put down. You know, according to that, but I would have a tendency just to you know feed the soil with compost as opposed to f- putting fertilizer around your plants, tree stakes, and all that other stuff. I just you know I don't have much faith in them. Okay, um, thank you for your time, sir. Well, well thank you, thank you. you. Thank you. And uh, it's just you got you know it's just finding out what there is there before we just start rushing out and doing anything. That's why when these you know anybody recommends, oh, your lawn needs lime. How do they know? You can't just look at a lawn and say it needs lime. You take a soil test or you have a pH meter that you stick into the ground and find out what the pH is. Lawn likes a fairly, you know, not a super acidic soil, but it does not like an alkaline soil. So 7 is neutral. Anything above 7 is alkaline. Anything below 7 is slightly acidic. So lawn wants it about, uh, you know, let's say 6 to 6.8, something in that range. So you just can't just assume that it needs that, and that's going to solve all the problems. But anyway, thanks, everybody, for calling in. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you next week.
The voice of the Cardinals. News Radio 1120 KMOX. KMOX HD St. Louis. 102.5 KEZK. HD3 St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.